0: From the West Branch Studios in
1: Davidson, North Carolina. Welcome to Dump the Clutch. Toes on your toes, on your toes, on your toes, on your toes, and full wide. I Am I saying anything is not true? I'm gonna bust his ass. Yes, For sure. We had a massive target on our back. As your Nickelback concert.
0: Sheldon Creed, the showstopper. Mr. Sisson, state your name. So name, uh, how you got to North Carolina, uh, where you work now, what do you do? Uh, Let's start from there.
1: Okay, my name is Bradley Sisson. Uh, Originally from Virginia, got to North Carolina after I graduated college. Uh, Virginia Tech, go Hokies. Pulled off a a win this weekend, Um, Mm -hmm. and I came down because... My first job out of college was working for Petty's Garage, uh, which we'll get to, I'm sure, but that ended up with me working now for Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, I manage our social media, and then I also do all of our graphic design.
0: And you've been a lifelong racing fan? Yes. So how did you get to that point?
1: Um, Well, I think... And how old are you right now? I'm 25. Yep. Um, I think how I became a fan, like most people do, where... Their dad took them to races. Yep. And so I grew up, my dad was actually a, a big Petty fan. Like, you're not you now that I'm on this side, I know what, like, the big weird fans are. <laughs> uh, that wasn't him. So I don't, you know, yeah. I don't want to mix up the two. He TV. was a respectful fan. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Um, and he respected what Richard did on the track and off big time. Uh-huh. Um, and, and Dale Inman as well. And so, yeah, uh, I think when I was four years old he took me to my first race which is a bush series race at the time at richmond Hmm. that was our closest track and then that went well and i i loved it from the time we got there so we went to richmond twice a year and martinsville twice a year just about every year since
0: and what did you like about it was it just the sensory overload the sounds the smells that
1: yeah i i can't i mean my dad tells the story a lot better because he can remember i was so young but he said you know when we went to that richmond bush race cup was qualifying uh-huh. and so we got there got to the stands and the first car fired up and took off and he said i was this little kid and my arm went like straight up in the air like <laughs> fist pumping, you know and he's he looked over he's i don't even have to try he's, yeah. like, he's already hooked yeah yeah
0: and so what did you go to school for
1: so i actually went to school my degrees in packaging systems and design oh yeah yeah, that's right. yeah. um i started out i was going to be an engineer because that's what my dad did and when i was in high school i'd didn't have the fortitude to think ahead far enough, and I thought, well, you know, my dad's done well. Everybody wants to hire engineers; it's a decent job. I think I can do that. Let's go do that. And
0: your dad's in the military, or was in the military? No, he, or? he
1: works. He works for the navy, for the navy but okay. he's a civilian. So yep. he, he's a mechanical engineer by trade, and kind of went the leadership route. So he runs a fairly decent organization.
0: Yeah, and so we'll, I'm going to go a couple of places here, but um, you also have this natural gift of um, uh, drawing. Uh, yeah, your your artist background. I'm not sure you studied it. You, I think you just did it.
1: Yeah, I I really. I mean, there are some things that I did in school that maybe could be applicable, but I started drawing when I was really young, and um, the the way that I learned the most was just by watching the people that I admired, like like Chip Fooser mm-hmm. or or. Um, that was really the main guy. You know, when his TV show came out, it was just life-changing for me. And
0: do you have a, uh, maybe from an artistic standpoint, do you have a bit of a photographic memory?
1: Yes. Oh, yeah. hundred percent.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. And does that bleed into other stuff or is it just when you're talking about It definitely art?
1: bleeds into other stuff. Uh, one, I can, this is a good example. I can, I have a really good facial recognition. Oh, yeah. I can remember people that I meet one time and if I see them again years down the road, I might not know their name off uh-huh. the top of my head, but like I know where I saw them last.
0: Huh. And so when did you figure out you had the superpower?
1: I, that's a good question. I don't know when I was able to figure it out. I just know that like like my parents could probably tell you early on, you know, that I could pick stuff out of previous things that had happened that, uh-huh. that they couldn't remember.
0: And so do you think the major that you went after was at that time what you thought would be a good mixture of art and engineering or?
1: Yeah, I mean, like with packaging. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, to, a little bit more to the story. So when I realized engineering wasn't going to work out, I was like two years in. I was pretty, I was pretty deep into it. You know, <laughs> I got as far as I could get. Um, I think, I think with engineering and, and anything really, if you don't love it, then it's going to be really hard to be successful. Because mm-hmm. nobody wants to put in so much time and effort in something they don't love. Yeah. And so um, I, I knew right then I needed to, to make a change, and I wanted to go the industrial design route because that was a ton of art and I, I like design as well and mm-hmm. I thought that would be a really good fit and then I tried to apply and they rejected me. Huh. So, um, yeah, the department head said he didn't like cars. My <laughs> portfolio wasn't very good then. You know?
0: And you're pretty much all cars? Uh, pre- yeah. And are you whole cars or sections of cars? Because I know Chip Foose, he does the whole car and then he'll dissect it and do interior shots and wheels and Yeah. Like, what, what, what is your uh, forte when it comes to cars?
1: um I'm, I'm similar in that way you know i i always like to start off with an overall overall rendering uh-huh. um, usually i'll just try and like do a line drawing before i even start thinking about colors just to like get familiar with the shapes and stuff yeah and then you know um getting more into the details and and up close you know if i'm coming up with a with an exhaust fixture or something. I'm not going to draw the whole car just for that. Yep. I'm going to do a, a section view or, yep. or an exploded view.
0: And how long have you been at it on the artistic side with cars?
1: Like when did I start with the car stuff? Yeah. That's probably 10. 10. Yeah.
0: And so uh, going back to Petty, your was your first job with Petty Petty's garage? Yes. Yeah. And so to explain that role.
1: Yeah. So my role there, I was I came on, well, I started with them when I was in college. I I got in touch with them because i I like. I'd already gotten. it. I went the packaging route, and I enjoyed that major. It was. It's a really good program, but it mm-hmm. just. I was like, I gotta do something with cars. yes yeah. That was. That was where my passion lied. I knew I wasn't gonna be happy if I didn't. Yeah. Um, so we reached out to Petty's Garage because they were building. Hot rods and street machines. Total
0: blind. Like, was it an email, a call? Like, uh, I showed up at the door. You showed up at the door. Yeah. So this is another good. Uh, okay, so keep going. This is good.
1: Yeah, and I, <laughs> I, well, I, I'd like to take credit for all this, but like at that time in my life, I had, I was pretty low on self confidence. Uh-huh. Like I didn't, I didn't have a lot of drive or anything because I, I, engineering school didn't work out. Industrial design I didn't get into. Yeah. I was just I was kind of at a low yeah. point there, and, um, you know, my my dad is total optimist and and he's got more self-confidence and knows what to do. And he's like, why don't we just show up at the door? Uh That'd be fun. Right.
0: And and you're how old at this point?
1: I was um, 19. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I showed up with my portfolio under one arm and Uh uh, um, convinced them to at least talk to me and... Then it took a lot of emails after that, mm-hmm. uh, following up. Um,
0: and who did you talk to when you first showed up in person?
1: So the first guy I talked to is a kid named Will Cheek, who's still like one of my best friends to this day, uh-huh. even though we've both moved on to, to a little bit different stuff. But um, he was he was like a couple years older than me running the parts counter. Mm-hmm. And I think he was bored. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs>
0: <laughs> he's like, oh, here comes this guy. <laughs> yeah.
1: But he's a super nice guy. And like, uh-huh. um, so yeah, and then we ended up working – really closely together when I came on there full-time and uh-huh. did a lot of really cool stuff.
0: And so from showing up at the door to getting an actual paycheck, how long of a time period was two that? Two years. Two years, wow. And so I'm, did you do a lot of work for free? Mm-hmm. Yep. two years worth. <laughs> so that was something else. So we interviewed uh, Ian with, uh, he's now with Penske, and that's one thing he said. I was going to ask if you had done him yet. Yeah, yeah uh, He. that's one thing he said towards the end. He said, uh, if he was to give knowledge to kids coming up, he's like, be ready to work for free. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. And if if you're young enough and you can swing it financially or you're still at home or whatever, do it. You have to do it. Yeah. Um, and it rarely do people start making money off their artistic stuff right off the bat. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's rare, rare. Um, and so, Petty's Garage, how long were you there for?
1: Uh, close to two years.
0: And then, so what... What did you do for Petty's Garage? Cause, uh, and then why don't you also explain what Petty's Garage is real quick.
1: Yeah, so Petty's Garage operates out of the original Petty Enterprises shop, mm-hmm. which is in a little middle of nowhere level across North Carolina up yep. in the Greensboro area. And um, so when they moved shops, I think it was like 2008 or something, they ended up with you know a bunch of big buildings and some guys that didn't want to relocate. And, mm-hmm. and this is, speaks to the type of person Richard is, but he, he was like, well, I've got these guys that have been with me for a while and need something to do. I got a few old cars that need to be fixed up or, or worked on. Let's just, you know, start there and see what happens. I don't think they ever really meant for it to be anything, you know, too like, like the idea was just to, to kind of have something for them to do. And then as their bill started gaining attention, because whose name was attached to them, of course, um, people started asking, Hey, can you do this to my car? I want to build this. And Mm -hmm. I think it kind of just snowballed into a full service or, but like like anything from old classic restorations to modern superchargers and turbos and was
0: it mostly Mopar stuff
1: um it was heavily Mopar um uh, mm-hmm. because that's you know the fan base latched onto that manufacturer long ago and so that yeah. there's that tie-in but yeah. um you know we did a lot of a lot of Mustangs a lot of Camaros um but mostly domestic
0: and did you so for customers cars coming in you're working on them how many spec cars are you building or were you building spec cars
1: uh we had so we had a similar program to like a rousher shelby okay. uh with with the mustangs and f-150 because when you started that there was still a ford relationship there yeah and um so we would get those in we'd have like multiple stage levels and then had a dealer network that they still do i mean this that's yep. how that started and now uh they still work with dealers and um that's a pretty good program
0: and so when um you're building or when they are building the cars they come to you and they need uh, a look and feel for the car is that kind of where the the, the process started with you
1: mm-hmm. yeah because when, when backing up to when we first reached out to them you know we saw that like I never saw any like drawings or renderings or any signs of a, of a designer on staff and so we looked at it as almost like okay there's a need for this and yep. um, and so that's when I was able to convince them, hey, you should at least try it out and see how it goes. Yeah. And then when it came time to graduate, um, I actually wrote my job description, yeah. which is kind of neat.
0: But but that's the correct way to do it is also it's it's to investigate a company and figure out what they don't have and, and build yourself a job.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it wasn't like there was somebody there and I thought they were a bad designer. I just thought, you know, you need you need somebody whose focus is this.
0: Uh huh. And are you working directly with the people that are doing the modifications? So it's not only paint color, but how the paints design, how the car sits. Did you get any mechanical, like how the, the attitude of the car sits on the ground or?
1: Yeah. I mean, um, so there was a lot, especially with, with paint and, and body modifications. I worked a lot with fabricators and with the body shop. Uh-huh. Um, you know, whatever is going to go on underneath the hood, that's for somebody else to figure out. Yeah. Um, you know, and, but I got to, that. one thing I learned really fast was that if you had to get out into the shop and gain the respect of the guys that were working on the car, because yep. the more they respected you and liked you, the more willing they were going to be to try to make your ideas work. Yep. And so, you know, the further along I got, the more I could push it with modifications I wanted to make because, you know, I knew that they believed in my vision and yeah. knew what I was going for, and they were at least going to try and make it happen.
0: And then are you also helping to market Petty's Garage as a whole with sales collaterals and things like that, or were you only working on cars?
1: Um, we were, so I, I came in to, they had someone there that was kind of doing marketing and social, uh-huh. and I wanted my hands on that, to be honest, because yeah. I, I wanted, I wanted just wanted to take it over and, yeah. and see what I could do. I mean, I, th- I thought right. I could do a good job with it. Right. Um, and so, and it's a, it's still a smaller company. And, you know, when you work for a smaller company, you wear many hats. Yep. Which I think is great because yep. it allows you to learn how to sell what your, your product to customers. Yep. And you take in feedback and figure out. Why your stuff's not selling or why they didn't like it and try and fix it.
0: Yeah. And still very much a family run company. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And how many employees do you have altogether with uh on the racing side?
1: Well, we're probably I think we're in the forty to fifty range yeah. total.
0: Yeah. Um, okay, so you're with Petty's Garage. Um, I think they did they shut down or did they contract or
1: I think they've contracted a little bit. Yeah. Uh, they haven't shut down. No, they're still Okay. They're still doing a lot of stuff, but um um, there's been a lot of changes within the industry as far as how easy it is to tune cars that are coming out because uh-huh. they work on brand new stuff. Yeah, and I remember the start of 2018 was such a, a, a hard time because Ford switched over to the direct injection on the on the Coyote and yeah, um, you know Dodge doesn't like Dodge doesn't like it when. Companies go in and try and change their tunes and codes and whatnot. And Not a lot do. <laughs> that's all we were doing. And it was, yeah. you know, they were trying to get more and more strict and, and yeah. um, make it harder to crack. And it's a tough hurdle to jump. Yeah, <laughs>
0: it, it's very tough. So um, you were without a, a job for a little bit with Petty. That's where me and you hooked up. Mm-hmm. And then you started to very quickly get calls back about joining Petty back, but on the racing side of this. Yes. And, um, that was kind of the time I was kind of coming out of the, of at least the team side of the racing part of it. And, um, uh, I, I remember our discussions. I remember a lot of them. And so I think the one thing I told you is that you travel a lot and on the, on paper, it's a lot of travel, but when you physically do it, it's a lot of travel. (laughs) So what, what has materialized over the past, uh, season or two here?
1: Well, I started or past um, season. Yeah, yeah. I started with the race team full time, like two days before I flew to Daytona. Uh-huh. I mean, right? I just jump right in, <laughs> dive in head first. Right. And um, it, you're right; it's it's a lot. Yep. Which I can't. You told me, and, and 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 you know, you look at it, it's not something to be surprised by. But yep. after you do, like my my limit or, or like where I hit kind of a wall is about seven to eight weeks. Yep when you don't get a break between that seven, eight week period and you're just like hanging on by a thread.
0: Yeah. Yep. Been there, done that. Yeah. (laughs) And um, so are you, and you're roughly, do you travel like Thursday to Sunday roughly if it's a Sunday race? Yeah, Yeah. that's about right. So you're traveling, you're the whole deal almost. Mm -hmm. Yep. And um, what what do you enjoy out of it? What what is the, cause I know that you also take over uh, or help your major contributor on Petty's social media side. Mm And I think one of the times when you first started talking, when we first started talking after you got the job, you were starting to move the needle on their social media. So tell me a little bit about handling a social media account for a NASCAR team.
1: It's a lot different than anything else I'd ever done. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as like like when I handled it for Petty's Garage, we were at, you know, overall we were probably between our, all of our pages, maybe 100,000 followers total. Yeah. But anytime you posted anything on there or interacted with your audience and fan base, it was mostly positive. You know, people, <laughs> they wanted to learn more about the car. Yeah. Hey, that's a cool you know, car, yeah. They liked it. They said, oh, you know, maybe I didn't like the blue, but, uh-huh. you know, you try it in red, that'd be a cool car. Yeah. And, and like it was a really fun um, group to get to know and interact with. Yes, And going over to the NASCAR side, and there's a lot of those people too, Yep, but there's way more um, negativity than...
0: I mean, missiles. Even,
1: even I realized, and and I didn't know how hard that was going to be to to deal with on a day to day thing from a, yeah. from a mental standpoint.
0: And um, since you've been there, audiences increased. At least, are you creating content that people really want to see? Yeah, um, yeah,
1: I you know, our biggest jump has been on the Instagram side. Uh-huh. Um, our Facebook and and Twitter audiences are you know it's a, it's a linear growth curve, but yep. um, Instagram we've grown. Uh, Let's see, we were at 65 in February, and now we're about 90.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And 100% organic, too, which is great.
0: Yep. And then does Richard understand the importance of what you do, or at least that portion of your job?
1: I believe so. Um, You know, I don't, I I definitely think he understands the importance of what everybody does. Um, You know, with him and his point in, in time and career, there's no point in him trying to, to learn it, you yeah, know, and he right. has no interest in it. Yeah. And it's just not his, that's, that's not his, yeah. his era. Um, but, you know, he understands better than anybody how important it is to engage with your fans. Oh, yeah. And so. He wrote the book on it. Yeah. So if, if I can continue to have that same attitude, you know, on our social pages as he does when he treats people. Yeah. Or when he interacts with people, that's kind of the goal. Yeah.
0: I used to work at a decent sized team, Mm -hmm. at least from a car count, (laughs) Yeah, car count and people count. Um, There are teams that are double and triple that size, and then there are teams that are not. So Mm -hmm. what is it like working for a small team? Like 50 people, that's in today's world, that is a tiny team. Mm -hmm. Um, Is good, bad, or you just gotta figure out how to maneuver stuff and and move forward? Like what what does that look like?
1: There's good and bad, Mm -hmm. Um, probably more good. Uh, you know the, the the big benefit of it is, like we I have probably a little bit more freedom than mm-hmm. others do because you're so like like when when I go to work during the week, like I go to lunch with my boss who's our you know VP of marketing, our CEO, like like we all just get together and go to lunch together every right, day. right. You know the bigger teams don't do that. Yep. Like like Rick Hendrick doesn't take his social media team out to lunch every day. I don't right. think he might, <laughs> right. but I just don't expect that. Yeah. Um. So, you know, it's more of a family atmosphere. Um. But you know, there's challenges too because, obviously, when you have four cars and four drivers, creating content is easier because yep. there's just more to work with. Yep. So.
0: And um. Okay. So then. In, we've talked about this with a few of the guests that's been on this podcast, so coming up um, this time next year, going into the 21 season, there's going to be a new car. I think a lot of stuff is is still shaking out about vendors and exactly what it's going to be, but everyone knows it's coming. Do you think from a small team standpoint that that change of a new car is going to make a dramatic difference in terms of um, uh, financial efficiency?
1: I think it will help. Um I don't. I'm not far enough into the weeds to really know how much, because it's, it's gonna, you know, it's gonna be a, a challenge to start with, mm-hmm. because even if it's even if it's more financially viable down the road, you got to spend whatever it takes to convert to yep. get, get all your stuff to that point.
0: Yeah. So, th- it's, as best I can tell, um, I, I think unofficially people are pointing to these um, Australian supercar as being kind of like the platform. Mm-hmm. And then um, some of the things I've seen written and some of the senior people in NASCAR, uh, a lot of off-the-shelf parts, if not all off-the-shelf parts, uh, flange fit bodies, um, sequential gearbox. Uh, but it sounds like they're they're eliminating the areas on the car where teams can take liberties and actually make their own parts and pieces. Right. So... Um, and I think it's there's still a lot of to be determined. I think the price will come down or the cost will come down. I just don't know if it's going to be enough to be like oh like there's four other owners that are going to come yeah. into the sport now. So
1: I, I hope that that's the case because I would mm-hmm. love to see more more teams come in. Uh, I, I do see it helping us down the road too. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're, your your competition breakdown as far as who wins every week and and the point standings and stuff is probably not going to look much different. Yep. But I think the overall goal. Is just the business model of maintaining a team in NASCAR has got to change so that you don't lose any other people. Yeah, you know, because I don't, I don't think that they're as concerned with 100. Like, like a lot of people, like you ever listen to the call-in shows on XM Radio?
0: Uh, not really. I don't
1: recommend it, but I do anyways. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, you do have a long drive.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like you know, I just want to make sure we're not making any headlines. Um, <laughs> but like people will call in and they talk about leveling the playing field. And I don't think that's the goal. You know, I think that they still want that high level of competition. Yeah. But they just need to make sure that, you know, the teams that are in here now can stick around. Yeah. And I think that's going to help us do that. Yeah.
0: I still think the um, IROC series was way ahead of its time. And um, if you look back to some of the YouTube videos with the IROC series, the, and i'm not a racing purist and i i like only a certain things about racing or mm-hmm. different types of racing series that was fun to watch yeah because not only were the drivers oval track drag racers dirt racers they they were really driving all the same car yeah and i'm sure people rubbed on them when people weren't looking at the track but mm-hmm. they weren't building a custom piece every single week right and um you know there wasn't a ton of cars on the track which maybe you know, took away from a little bit, but, you know, you had 12, 15, 20 cars out there and they're running three wide the entire race. Yeah, And uh, it was fun to watch. Or, And, you know, I, I pulled up every once in a while. So I, I'm wondering if that's kind of like the blueprint they're trying to get back to. Um, and, you know, you hear rumblings from the drivers about, oh, the championship from last year was like the last true championship. And going forward, it's going to have need an asterisk next to it. I'm not sure I buy that. I disagree with that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, if we were racing three times a year, maybe. Yeah. But it, it it's uh, like even what was it the the 19 yesterday in Dover lost the race because their rear tire changer slipped. Oh yeah. And they were able to point back to that as lo- you know losing track position and that grenade their whole yeah. Their whole it,
1: day. He slipped and still didn't hardly miss a beat. Right. It was pretty impressive.
0: <laughs> yeah, he slipped and the gun either changed out by itself, but it was spinning the wrong way, so mm-hmm. he popped it really quick. So he did recover really well, but that cost them the win. You yeah. know that was that was the difference.
1: Yeah, you bring up a point though of talking about like true championship or whatever. That's one of my pet peeves is when people say, like they look at like Logano winning the championship last year and uh-huh. think that well the champion should have been somebody else. Like, no, like if I'm sorry, if you can have a good enough regular season, which is what 26 races, yeah. to make it into the playoffs and then somehow still perform well for 10 weeks straight when the pressure is on, and then you end up winning it all the Like, yeah. to me, that's a pretty good way of determining, you know, who had the best season or who was able to. Yeah. Like, you look at other sports. And I hate par- paralleling to, like, stick and ball sports because it's so different. But, mm-hmm. you know, the Patriots can go all season undefeated. Yep. They get to the playoffs or get to the Super Bowl and lose. Yep. And guess what? Whoever beat them is the Super Bowl champion.
0: Yeah, or they can go out round one. You yeah. Know? Or it's like the Giants several years ago when they were, you know, maybe one nine games the regular season, they won the championship.
1: Yeah. And I don't remember hearing, you know, people losing their minds over all oh, the Patriots should have been Super Bowl champions. So, right. No, they didn't win the game, so they shouldn't.
0: Right. Yeah, I um yeah, I I have a hard time believing that. I, I kinda understand where they're coming from or where some of those comments come from. But I don't know. And you know, the those rumors were pop- or not rumors, but statements were popping up from the drivers because they really don't know any different. Mm-hmm. And the majority of their career, even to go karts, they're running hopped up go karts, They're running hopped up engines. You know, their, their dads at the time are, you know, shaving heads and doing, <laughs> yeah. you know, so, um, they're, they're used to driving, um, a level like works based stuff. And so in their mind, it's almost like when you hear the word hybrid, you know, because that's another word that um, I mentioned a little while ago that I think NASCAR is starting to tease ever so slightly, but I think there will be some sort of energy recovery system on the car, although very basic. Um, And most people, when they think hybrid, they don't like it because they think slow and stupid.
1: So you had like, would you post on LinkedIn about this the other day or something? Yeah. Uh,
0: Hybrid that you look at all the supercars in the world, they're all hybrids and they make a thousand horsepower and they make 1200 horsepower. And uh, if you have that ability to make that much horsepower and not consume or actually consume less fossil fuel, it sounds like a good deal to me. And you know. You know if you do have an electric system, you know, you, you've heard every once in a while that, um, you know, it's oh you go to a race and it's so loud for so long. Maybe the cars come down pit road on full electric, and that's the only time they're full electric, and then they go back on to gas on the track. I kind of like
1: that idea because <laughs> as you're talking about this, I was thinking yesterday when um Dover's loud, yep, and which I and I, I talked about this at the beginning, you know, the sound is a big part for me. I totally like agree, yeah, those cars when they fire up. They still sound amazing. And yep. it, it, it makes you feel something. It's, but, like, when we're working on pit Road during the race and somebody comes to me and says, I need you to go to Racing Electrons to pick up a scanner or whatever, uh-huh. they're like cupping my ear and <laughs> screaming. And I still have to get them to say it like two inches away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they're breathing on you. And it's, been flying and it's like, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I, um,. I was the same way. I grew up going to race tracks, and the first thing I remember—I went to a drag race—was like my first professional race, and it was a top fuel. Mm, I still we, haven't been one of those yet. Oh, you, well, where are you? Where are you this weekend?
1: Um, Talladega.
0: Yeah, because they're in Charlotte this weekend. They never God, come. In. you got to get sick or something. <laughs> <laughs> Call in. Yeah. But um, that—the first thing that I remember was it was—it was unbelievably loud. And, um, you know, because at Ganassi, they have NASCAR, they have IndyCar, and they have IMSA. And I was always more of an IMSA, IndyCar guy. Yeah. But, man, those cars do not sound good. The racing is great. The vibe, I love the vibe. The drivers are cool. It's a, you know, it's a a complex uh, series when it comes to the courses they race on. The cars look cool. They sound terrible, (laughs) both of them. Yeah. That Ford EcoBoost awesome piece sounds miserable yeah. and the Indy car sounds terrible too so I mean and I'm 45 so I'm probably the last of the Mohicans that's going to have or maybe you know you're I think a unicorn because you're 25 and you're concerned about the sound. I think the younger the audience is the less concerned about the sound and, and conversely they're probably less interested in cars in general.
1: This episode
0: of Dump the Clutch is brought to you by Muddy Creek Experiential. Nestled in the Piedmont of North Carolina, Muddy Creek has been creating custom experience-based marketing and hospitality solutions for the past 20 years. Ensure that your next sports or entertainment investment is properly activated by the experts at Muddy Creek. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram at Muddy Creek Experiential. And now, back to Dump the Clutch. Um, do you feel like you're a unicorn?
1: <laughs> uh, not well. Not at the track because there are other people at the track like me. Uh-huh. I think that's the group of unicorns that get <laughs> together. <laughs> you know, it's like each team has found another unicorn to <laughs> right. hire her to. Um, so, on a weekly basis, no. But like when I go, the rare times I get to go like hang out with my friends, you uh-huh. know, away from the track, yes, absolutely.
0: Yeah. Huh. Um, okay. So getting back to your art. Um, so, when we run this, I don't know when we're going to run it, but we're, when, when I do my little promos on Instagram, I want you to send me several pictures of different things that you've done because okay. your stuff is unbelievable. We um, so, can
1: send you one for the wall in here, too.
0: Yes. Uh, so, tell me about the process. Um, you did a project for me that was a Ford GT. It was a customer car. Mm-hmm. So, from start to finish um, of seat time, how long did that take? What does the process look like? Um, how do you go about tackling something like that?
1: Well, seat time on that one, it, it's hard to say cause I, I work on it in stages, you know, I don't have the attention span to do it all at once, uh-huh. but that one was probably 15 hours, which is yeah. on the longer side. Uh-huh. Just, it was, it was a car I'd never done before and, and a lot of complex curves and vents. And
0: this and was things. a customer car. This was a Ford GT street version. Mm-hmm. And so I gave you a couple pictures of the actual car. Then there's a ton of pictures online of the car yeah. in general. So
1: Yeah, so I start with, um, I usually start with pencil and do a rough shape. I don't get too far into detail with pencil because I prefer to draw with ballpoint pen. It's like my favorite um, medium for, for lines. And so I'll get like a rough shape drawn out in pencil so that if I need to erase early on in the stage, I can. And then I'll go over that in pen and rough it in a little bit more. And then the paper that I use, the marker paper, is translucent enough that I can do overlays. So, um, you know, I'll get it as good as I can, but my lines will be thicker and and it'll be a little bit more rough. And if I make mistakes, so be it. And then when I get it ready to transfer, I'll pull a new sheet over and overlay that and get my outline as perfect as I can. And
0: you only use a template for the wheels to draw circles?
1: I mean, I have a series of ship curves that I'll use um, to, to tighten things up but I don't ever start with them. Mm -hmm. I I draw the whole car 100% freehand first. Then I come back and if there's straight lines or or curves, I'll tidy them up a little bit and then I've got ellipse templates for the wheels because that makes a big difference.
0: And so, I think I already know this answer, I gave you a picture of a car that I wanted you to copy. Do you like doing that or do you like doing your own thing?
1: I prefer to do, I mean I had a lot of fun with the one I did for mm-hmm. you, just because it was a car that I really like and think is cool and hadn't done one before. Uh-huh. But um, I definitely prefer to kind of go my own direction. Uh-huh. And that's and, and like when you said, I want to do this this Ford GT, and you gave me some pictures, I'm not drawing the picture. Like I'm not, right, the car's right. not going to be in yes. that angle or that light. Yep. You know, I'm going to pick my favorite angle and my favorite, you know, where the light source is going to come from yep. and then do it like that.
0: And do you have a favorite angle you like to draw in, or something that's natural? Car coming to you, going away from you. So
1: if you look at like what I, most of my drawings, the vast majority of them, the front is on the left. Okay. So it's like a front left three quarter because I draw like a right left right because I'm yep. right handed, mm-hmm. and so um, or if I do like the car behind you that, that foos drawing of the Grandmaster, yep. um, it's it's just reverse but it's the same thing. So where like it's it's a back shot, but he's drawn. Rear to front, and so.
0: And are you able? So that's your favorite angle. Are you able to, in theory, draw any angle?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, but if I'm doing like, if I were to do, you know, with the front on the right side and that kind of three-quarter view, mm-hmm. it can take me a little bit longer, because it's a little bit more. It's it's just unnatural. For some and
0: reason. do you always start with a picture of something, or can you literally draw straight from memory onto paper?
1: I can draw from memory onto paper, but I'm not. If I'm doing like a project for someone or like a really nice rendering. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna start, I start with pictures.
0: So that's the fascinating part for me cause I suck at drawing. And I remember like, I don't know why I remember this. It was like second or third grade. And we would, um, you know, they would, you know the ping pong ball bounce back and forth. So draw, look, draw, look back and forth. I could never visualize it, visualize it in my mind. So, but, but you just said you don't have the attention span to do it all at one shot. So you can go back to reference point in your mind and mm-hmm. pick up where you left off from a yeah. drawing standpoint if you're not using anything as a reference
1: and that's the key for me like what you said reference point i don't know how like i can't tell you how other people draw but i draw 100 based in reference points so like some people like to use a box method or something where they'll draw a box and they'll like build it a car uh-huh. or an object inside of it where for me if i look at a photo and i see where a wheel is or where the grill is in my mind i know how to translate the distance from that to the door jam. Okay. Window, yep, window. And so it, it works. I don't know. It's probably not. It's unorthodox, I think. Or, yeah. But.
0: And um, how much are you self-taught from watching videos online or just watching anything? Or is it just like literally seat time and doing stuff?
1: I'd say it's probably, well, it's 50-50 between those two things. Uh-huh. Um, because where I learned the most from videos is when it comes to like how to make something look like Chrome. Or shading or you know, light sources and stuff like that. Um, but you really don't get any better if you don't have seat time. Mm-hmm. And and for me too, like every drawing that I still do today and will continue to do, I just pick one aspect that I would like to improve. I do everything else the same. Mm-hmm. And after I get that better where I'm happy with it, then I move on to something else. And those, you know, it's just baby steps. I mean, it's a pretty simple yeah. method, but all of those add up and carry over
0: and do you have a favorite type of car you like to do
1: i mean the late 60s early 70s muscle cars mm-hmm. uh, but i really i'm more of a truck guy than anything mm-hmm. um, like like square body c10 pickups and like i have a 70 mm-hmm. c10 which is a little before the square body but those are my favorite
0: and so how many finished drawings have you done roughly
1: probably four or five hundred
0: yeah and how many of those were paid jobs for people?
1: Uh, I'd say I'd say about half.
0: Yeah. And is this something like for a side hustle? Like, granted, your time is pretty thin, but is this something you want to keep going on as long as you live?
1: I think so. It, it, I don't know. It's, it, that's a hard question to answer because it's, it, I mean, in theory, yes. But I have way more fun when I'm just doing something that I want to do that's going to hang on my wall that doesn't bring me any you know monetary value spoken
0: like a true artist (laughs) but it's just true like
1: like i you know when i don't have rules to follow Mm -hmm. i have way more fun yeah and
0: uh huh um and then so are you using any digital media digital tool to draw like so i used to work with someone who was really good 3d they I think they. He also did. He would. He was a good drawer, illustrator. But he would almost go from a Wacom pad to a computer. Mm-hmm. Are you getting to that point now, or do you not like that because of the feel? Or
1: I. I use. I, I. have a Wacom pad, mm-hmm. and I mean, I use Photoshop and Illustrator on a daily basis um, with RPM. Yeah. Whether it's creating race day graphics or or paint schemes, because all of our paint schemes are done in Illustrator. Uh-huh. So I've had to become proficient in both of those, and I've done some. Um, I've done some almost 100% Photoshop renderings and, and they take like I would like to get to the point where I'm good at those because you can change things a lot easier uh-huh. excuse me but um, yeah there's like I, I don't dislike it you know, yeah. it's, it's a good way of doing things and I have a lot of respect for the guys that are super good at it because it's hard and, and it's definitely, it's it's, it's its own art form.
0: Who are the top three that you look up to for specifically what you do, like drawing cars?
1: Yeah, um, Chip Foose was the first guy, of mm-hmm. course. You know, He was really the, the first one to bring attention to it uh, with his with his TV show. And there's a guy, um, his name is Chris Gray. He's the lead designer at Roaster Shop. Are you familiar with Roaster Shop? I don't think so. They're a shop out of, I think they're in Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's incredibly talented. Uh, one of the older school guys is named Steve Stanford, yeah. um, and he started out as like a pinstriper, and his drawings are more like airbrush. Uh-huh. So I just like admire his work, but I don't really use him to as a to follow along just because our styles are very different. Yeah, and I would say um, Sean Smith is really talented. Uh, Gary Ragle, he does a lot of the Ring Brothers stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, Tavis Highlander is really good. There's a lot of guys.
0: And those guys in that world are they attached to one builder or do they just kind of kind of do work for people along the way?
1: Most of the ones I just mentioned are are freelance guys. Uh-huh. Um, like I said, Chris Gray, he's, he's strictly with Roaster Shop. Yeah. And but they do a lot of different stuff. And then of course Chip who kind of does his own thing.
0: And is Chip kind of like the the master of that world as of right now? Because uh, he's still fairly young too. He's, he's even fifty years old. Yeah, I think so. Um, is is he seen or looked at as the pioneer of that? Not, I mean, not the pioneer, but kind of like the ringleader of that, or no?
1: I would say he's looked at as the as the top dog master of years, like, late 90s to 2010 uh-huh. or so. Yep. I think there's been a lot of, of new designers and new ways of designing that have come in in the past, you know, seven, eight years mm-hmm. that are kind of inching forward there because... Um, I mean, he's still doing some incredible stuff, but I think he's kind of slowed down Yeah. as time has gone. You know, I don't, I don't see him building five, six cars at a time. I see him building two or three.
0: And you talk about unicorn. So not only can he visualize it and draw it, he also does a lot of the metal work. On oh yeah. It. And is that common with, uh, illustrators with cars to actually execute what they draw? Or is that really a rare I think that's
1: more rare. Um, I think, because I think if you want to get, I don't know how he's been, how he's gotten himself to be so good at, at both things, yeah. but you know, for me, I, I, I want to put more time into the design thing yeah. and then just work with the people. Because I think
0: that car won a Riddler. It did, yeah. And I think, um, I don't, I don't know this a hundred percent, but, uh, he, does he still compete in the Riddler or for the Riddler award?
1: Yeah. His last one was, um. Three or four years ago, it was a Impala called the Imposter. It was built on top of a 20, 2008 or 2012, mm-hmm. one of those but it was a Corvette underneath it was a 65 and
0: Didn't he get kind of to the level where when he was announced, he's going to compete for the riddler. A lot of people get pissed off cause he would get to, he was in a win it all the time. Not because it was a political thing, but it was like his shit was that good. Mm-hmm. So like why compete? So yeah. if he's slowing down that, you know, may have helped, you know, bring up some people a little bit quicker, I guess. Yeah. And
1: I think also too, you know, he talked a lot. Um, I think it was this last grand national roaster show. They did a whole exhibit for him. He was like builder of the decade award or something. Uh-huh. Yep. And I listened to, um, I think it was a podcast he was doing where he talked about how, like, the criteria for building roasters was changing, uh-huh. and all these guys that were winning now were just who could build the nicest 32 Ford. Whereas, in his view, that award is supposed to go to somebody with a totally coach-built car. Yeah. And so, you know, I wonder if part of it is like, you know, maybe the industry changing and. I don't know, but it does seem like his, his focus is a little bit different than it used to be.
0: Yeah, because I, I think, and again, I haven't studied his cars a ton, but I, I'm fairly familiar with his work. And he was always really big on desi- uh, modifying a car so it looks modified, but you still know what it is, mm-hmm. and you're not totally deviating from what the original designer wanted to do. Right. And um, And it would almost take him standing next to you, pointing all the things out of the car that he did, where you might be able to pick three or four things out, and there's really thirty or forty things that mm-hmm. he did. You know, that's that's the magic that he does. Yeah,
1: when they when he won with that that Impala, they had a, st- a bone stock Impala sitting next to it uh, oh, on cool. display, yep. where he had um, cut out like pieces of construction paper and cardboard and laid them and tape and laid it up on the car for each section of body that he modified or cut out. Oh wow! And so. If that wasn't there, I don't think half the people would even know where to begin Whoa, like, wow. looking at it. Huh. But yeah, he always, you know, his his catchphrase is, "I want it to look like it could have come from the factory like that." Yep. And that's I really like that. And I also really like when builders um, make up a story and stick to it. Uh-huh. So there's a guy, Steve Strope of Pure Vision yep. Design, and he's famous for that. They built a a Galaxy. Um, he
0: does Joe Rogan's cars, I believe. He
1: does. Yep. Yes. And, uh, they built a galaxy that, um, like it had like Lamborghini Miura wheels Uh because they, in in their minds, I think they were trying to go for like, it was a test, a Ford, like test race vehicle that would you know, never existed. Oh yeah, yep, gotcha. And so like the Lamborghini wheels, they looked really good on the car. Yeah. And it was like, kind of like a middle finger to to Lamborghini at the same time. And
0: didn't he build a 65 Mustang with an IndyCar engine in it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty, I remember seeing pictures of that. That looked really cool too.
1: But yeah, I love that because they'll, you know, builders like that will say, this is, it's not just a theme, it's a, it's a fake idea that could have been real. Huh. And they stick to it from start to finish. And like, I don't, I think that's really cool.
0: Yeah, he, um, I think it was, he had a show on Discovery or something called Pure Vision. Uh, handbuilt Hot Rods is the newest one. Yeah. Hot Rods, yeah. And uh, he's an interesting character.
1: He's a little, <laughs> I, you know, like, I, I'm sure all. Like, I think all really talented people uh-huh. are a little quirky yep. in one way or another. I'm sure I probably am, too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Not at all. <laughs>
0: but, um, I mean,
1: you can't deny that this stuff's good.
0: So, uh, I've seen it done on the show. Uh, Chip Foost is able to draw a quick sketch upside down. Uh, are you able to do that, too?
1: Not as well, but I think so.
0: Yeah. And, again, is that just all from the memory and, and literally instructing your brain to flip it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Huh?
1: Like I could. There's certain cars. Like I could draw a '69 Camaro upside down in front of you right now. You mm-hmm. want me to? Yeah. It's not gonna look great, but it'll. It's will still be all right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um. Okay.
0: So, uh, in closing, uh, I asked this for a couple times, but um, if you had a magic wand in NASCAR, what are the first few things you would do? To, and it can be business side, competition side, entertainment value.
1: Shorten the season. Yep. I would not have said that 10 <laughs> months ago. Yeah. Um, I say it now, though.
0: And, uh, short, not by a lot, but... Uh, number of races or um, uh, shorten it by the month, meaning you might run Wednesday races, but still run 36 yeah. races.
1: I don't really like the idea of Wednesday races, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, I would just... Now that I've been to all these tracks and and a lot of them twice, there's just certain ones that I don't think we need to go to twice anymore. Uh, Um, Like Michigan or Dover or uh, maybe even Bristol. Oh, I love Bristol. One of my favorite places to go. I think
0: Bristol one would be the first race I'd get rid of because, um, I mean, again, I could say that for, you know, because I got nothing hanging on it. But um, they usually run into bad weather. Um, One time it snowed. And um, it's it's hard to fill up 160,000 seats. Yeah. And they even if you get 140,000 people there, they always get hammered in the media because it's like, oh my God, there's no one there.
1: Right, which my thing is like, watch the race, don't watch the stands. <laughs>
0: I think um, uh, I think one time per is plenty. Mm-hmm. And I think ending in September is great. Mm-hmm. Or, I don't care if it's early or late, just ending in September.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not trying to cut it in half, but I think if we could you know, shorten it by three to four weeks and maybe throw in one more off weekend. Yeah. Um, that's a selfish thing on, on the team side, but yep. you know, I think it would be beneficial.
0: But it gets back to the uni- the, the unicorn comment is that you have to find people that would do this for free because you need that type of drive to keep going. Cause at mm-hmm. the end of the season, after you've been beat down mentally and physically, um, if you don't like it a thousand percent, you're, you start asking yourself questions. You're like, yeah. mm, how long do I want to do this for? And, um, and then, so from a, a sustainability standpoint for the sport, like who wants to give up 40 weekends every year yeah. in, in your twenties, you know, some people do, a lot of people don't.
1: So <laughs> it's been, I mean, I'm, I'm still having a blast, mm-hmm. you know, it's, there's stressful parts, but like, you know, when, cause I get asked on a weekly basis. What's it like to do this? This is your dream job. And I said, Mm -hmm. well, I can tell you one thing. It's better than a real job. Right. Um, But that would be the first thing. I would shorten the races. Um, hmm. A lot of what I would like to change, I wouldn't be able to because it's just like the fan mentality. I wish (laughs) wish the fan mentality would change Mm -hmm. um, because it's like they... Okay, let me back up here because I don't want to make a generalized statement that's not true, but the majority of the fan base that lives on Twitter... Uh-huh. and on social media which i know is not everybody in it's only probably a small portion. Yeah. Um but, but
0: they're the loudest portion. <laughs> they are and
1: it's the and and it's the only metric you have to go by because not everybody else is you know calling you or sending letters or whatever every yep. day. Um, but it's like I've seen them you know when when we ran this modified package at the All-Star race last year. It was like the greatest thing ever because put on a good race at Charlotte which uh-huh. you know has kind of been a little boring. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the fan base spoke and they said, this is a great package. Why aren't we running this? So what did NASCAR do? They implemented it for the entire 2019 season. (laughs) I looked at the comments on, you know, a major sport pages yesterday after the snooze fest that was Dover. Yeah. And it was, this package sucks. It's terrible. We need to change it. I'm like, you've got to decide what you want here because it's like everybody just wants to come out and say they don't like what's going on, but nobody can tell you why and nobody has a solution to fix it yeah. or to change it. Yeah. And so, you know, it's hard to say. I don't even know what would be like the, the ideal package for the fan base because we've tried multiple now and it, you know, goes week to week on whether they like it.
0: Yeah, and I think, I'm not sure if this is all from the Phelps era, but um, they've made a decision, they've made decisions and good, bad or indifferent, it seems they're sticking to them until they have enough data to make another decision, whether they change it or not. Cause it seemed in the past, which pissed off a lot of people is that they would change, make decisions and change rules and change things after a few weeks. And then that gets super expensive. And then you really start to piss people off. So like, uh, even I've known, I think most people would agree that, you know, yellow flags, unless there is physically a crash and there's dead cars on the track, they don't throw a yellow flag. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Sometimes people get pissed off of that, but then back in the day when they would throw the phantom caution, or and then you know people are like, Debris. oh, it's, it's fake, it's fake. Yeah. So um, I agree, and even um, I think the because the sport is not set up like a traditional franchise sport. There's a lot like every team can not make up their own rules, but the way they pay their employees, the way they do partnerships with other teams and technical alliances and things like that. That's there's no blueprint to that, mm-hmm. and um, Bob Levine or Bob Levine, sorry, I don't remember the the pronunciation of his last name. I think it's Levine. Levine. Yeah. Man, on Twitter, I I guess good for him that he has like the the guts to keep up with that. But I get sucked into these rabbit holes of reading. He'll post something and then he'll answer all the questions. And I would say 99.7% of the people have no clue... What his deal is with Gibbs, and they automatically think, mm-hmm. "Bob, you're an idiot. Bob, you suck. You fired. You know." And he, it, it's it's just the lack of education behind the scenes, and then that causes them to believe something that just flat out is based on not fact, and then it gets them pissed off, and they get sideways, mm-hmm. and then it's just a it's a bad day after that. Yeah,
1: the the, the education part is such a double edged sword because you're right. There's there's a lot to the sport, and there's so much that like you said, behind the scenes that the fan base doesn't understand. Yep. And they want to know everything. Mm-hmm. And you part of you wants to tell them everything, but I don't I guess it's it's that's a tough road to cross because yeah. you know, if you publish the rule book and then something doesn't get called, you know, Jimmy in Louisiana is gonna be <laughs> blowing up Steve right. O'Donnell's Twitter timeline, you right. know, calling out the rule and Yeah. It's you know It's that's a that's a delicate balance that I don't know the answer to. Yeah, Um, I definitely like the idea of a of a spending cap. Mm -hmm. That would be I think it's coming, and that would be something I would enact. I don't know how to enforce it. Yeah, I was just
0: gonna say on paper that makes all the sense in the world. I just don't know how you enforce it. Yeah, and um, and there's somewhat of a salary cap I believe in Formula One, but I, I think they're having you know like. So, if you go to Ferrari and say you can't put the car in the tunnel more than 10 times a year, Ferrari says, screw off. We have our own wind tunnel on our own private property. We'll do it however many times we're going to you know, do it. So, how do you, how do you justify that? Yeah. You know?
1: And I'd like, to see, I'd like to see a streaming service at one point. Yeah. Um, because, you know, people already, which I wouldn't think it'd be all that difficult, but, but finding FS1 or NBCSN, I guess to some people is a challenge yeah or or the people that don't have cable because because less and less people are, are paying mm-hmm. for are paying for cable or satellite um you know some kind of way to to watch the races and watch them on it uninterrupted mm-hmm. yeah because um, i'll tell you the one race i missed this year i didn't go to Watkins glen uh-huh. because they needed to take an extra spotter and i was okay yep. just you know i yep. needed a break anyway so yep. um i'm watching Watkins glen uh, at home with my parents i went up for the weekend and uh that was when we had the little back and forth with the eighteen. Yeah. And we turned the eighteen mm-hmm. quite intentionally and I'm watching it and it's on the NASCAR nonstop double screen. Uh-huh. And I'm losing my mind. Uh-huh. Meanwhile there's no sound and I'm getting told about KFC or something over here. <laughs> and I'm like, Can can nobody bring the broadcast back? Like this is like stuff is happening. Yeah. And it's in a little four by four square on the side of the screen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, and then I'm a huge proponent of digital, um, social media, all that stuff. Um, but you know, when it comes to the live race, it's a little bit of a slippery slope. And I think, um, I mean me personally, uh, I used to watch a lot of drag racing on television and I kind of fell out of it. And some of that was because you had the driver or the team PR person standing behind the cars and um, they're live and maybe it was taped delayed by an hour or two on TV. And they're telling you who wins every single round. Oh, you know, we we're in the right lane. Oh, we won, we lost. And like, okay, I, there's no reason for me to watch on television now. Mm-hmm. So that's another thing that you, you know, maybe need to help drive traffic to live races without totally like giving it away. I think digital during an event needs to be supplemental um, and showing you other things that tv won't or can't i think that's the biggest thing mm-hmm. um, and i'm sure you see that with you know during your um, your your weekend you know you're you're traveling around with bubba at the track and you're going to appearances and it's behind the scenes i think people love that stuff i yeah. mean would you agree
1: absolutely yeah yeah and 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 they don't realize how much of that we do either um, i've tried that's it's been one of my initiatives or goals is just to like what i'm trying the end goal with this is trying to drive more people to go to races because we do you know anywhere from three to five public appearances at track every week Uh where you don't even need a hot pass or a pit pass or you may not even need a ticket if it's on saturday or something and you can come up and say hi shake a hand get a photo an autograph and like Uh You know it's not that's actually a, a pretty easy thing to do and i'm trying to promote that every week when we go do them so that you know if fans are considering coming to the track or not yeah. you know what's the difference between going or watching the race on tv well I mean, one is you know if you come to our races and everybody else is the same way you know you've got probably a big chunk of opportunity to meet your driver right whereas if you go to a football game you know you're not going to meet tom Brady. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> you
0: know? Unless you're at the airport, like that girl yesterday or two days ago. I didn't see that. Oh yeah, it's on Barstool Sports. She lost her mind when he was walking out of the terminal. <laughs> uh, okay, so real quick, uh, one of my favorite questions: what is your f- what is your ten year plan? Where do you see yourself in ten years when you'll be thirty five years old and super old? <laughs> um, if you had to pick racing or art, and you can make Good money art what would you do?
1: I'd probably still be racing yeah because in, I don't know I, I kind of want this mindset to change because like like I feel like I should say art, but I don't know I, I don't want art to get to a point or design to get to a point where it's not fun for me yeah and you know've I've had a lot of fun with racing while it's still being work. And if I could just have fun while I'm at work and fun while I'm at home, yeah, that's that's kind of my goal. I just, you know, I, I I'm extremely blessed to get to do what I do, and I just want to somehow make sure that it stays enjoyable for me. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because you mentioned it earlier, it's it's not a real job, and that's a good thing. It's because mm-hmm. um, you know there's people that need a real job. There's people that need the nine to five, and you have to get up at a certain time and got to go home at a certain time. But um, the, the, the people that are okay with being loosey goosey from a time standpoint and being okay with if something pops up that's kind of a fire drill you got to attack it now um, that's very much the mentality of a lot of people that are either on the competition side or the business side in racing it's just no day is mm-hmm. the same you know yeah
1: you know what I really like to do because we've been I think we've made some big time strides this year um, and I'd like to build our team from from a content and a you know in a digital strategy standpoint. To where, you know, where we're top dog online. You know, like, because the way I look at it, you know, they published the metrics for um, top drivers on social media. Yeah. Or or advertising. And Taylor Deegan is number one. Yeah. And she hasn't even raced a truck yet. Yeah. But they're, and, 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 and a lot of people want to make excuses and say it's just because of her dad. But we have the king. Yeah. And we just, you know. Need to put some more time and, and focus yeah. into it, but I'd like to build our team and, and continue to move on the on the path that we're on.
0: Yeah, I um I love looking at those because if if you keep it within the racing world, you know those numbers are obviously accurate. Um, but then if you compare it to the non-racing world, that's where sometimes I come back and say, "Look, guys, you're still way behind the curve," you know. And mm-hmm. um, uh, so a, a shout out to Blazendary, but I still use him as um, like a reference point, you know, this is a kid that went to high school with my daughter and he has almost 2 million people on YouTube mm-hmm. and he's not a professional athlete. And, you know, people have a hard time believing that he makes a bunch of money off YouTube and he's a, he's a personality. Like when he goes to these sneaker conventions, cause he originally started in shoes, you'd think he's like the Beatles. People mm-hmm. attack him and want his autograph and stuff. But it's, if you look at it, if you look at what he's doing, you can apply that to any industry. He's talented. He puts himself out there. Uh, he engages with his fan base, and he's consistent. Mm-hmm. And I think the drivers that were on that top 10 that were a little bit more seasoned, they're really, really good drivers. So I think in their mind, they're like, I don't need to do that other shit because I'm still getting paid based off of my driving. Right. And that transition is still holds true to a certain effect, but you know, the drivers that are 30 years old and younger maybe even 28 and younger, man, they got to change their whole way on how they attack things. Yes. And, and their driving paycheck should probably just be like gas money. right? And they need to flip, literally flip the model on themselves. Which
1: would also help the teams. and yep. you know, if, if a driver's making just as much as he is now, but it's, it's from more so endorsements and, and their online presence and stuff, that's less, yeah, in theory, that's less salary that you have to yep. account for.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's super critical, and um, it, it it's still tough because you can't. It's like I can't go to you and say you got to grow twelve inches. Like some people, they just don't want to do what it takes to create content. Mm-hmm. They don't like the way their voice sounds. They don't like the way they look on video. They don't they don't like certain things, and they're not willing to do it. So it's kind of hard to hold a gun to their head and say you got to do it.
1: I understand that because I I can relate. I'm, I'm guilty <laughs> of the same things. I mean, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's and again, that's what I'm a big proponent of just do it. Like, we all have our flaws and shortcomings, but as time goes on, um, I really think NBC, CBS, and ABC—they're going to shrink substantially, and um, you know, YouTube is going to be the next CBS if it's not already there already. You know, so it's um, it's it's going to happen, and the more comfortable you get with it, I think the better you are to still have a income coming in, whether it's your primary or secondary. Um, And especially if you have a hard asset or a hard skill that, you know, you can, you're a great artist, so you can always lean on that whenever you need to. Um, So I think it's, I think it's all a pretty interesting social experiment to be quite honest. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. (laughs) Well, cool. Well, thanks for stopping by.
1: I appreciate you having me.
0: Yep. Thank you.